question is, what are the rules? We start early in life with rules like, don't touch that. Don't put that in your nose, David. It was a big one in my home. Don't play too rough. Um, as we get older, the rules get more complicated, but they're based on the same kinds of ideas, right? Uh, how, how do we live? How should we live? Um, what's the way to treat other people? What's the way to take care of ourselves? That kind of thing. And in Romans 12, we've been going through a series of instructions for how to live as a Christ follower, and that continues into Romans 13, where we are this morning. And the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to instruct the Roman church on what it looks like to be God's children. Remember, this is a, this is a whole book. We've been going through it. There's all kinds, I mean, it's this big argument. There's all kinds of things going on, and we're going through a long thing. But, but a little bit back in chapter 8, the Lord told us, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul, and told us who we were. And it says this, Therefore, brethren, brothers and sisters, this is to you. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if that by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Okay? For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Right? Daddy, our Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That is a very powerful thing. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And so we have this here. It's been stated earlier in the, in the book and kind of throughout the book, this idea is here. Who are you as a Christ follower? You're a child of God. You're a child of God. So by the time we get to chapter 12, we're, we're told at the beginning of that chapter to be transformed, not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? And we are also told what it looks like to be transformed. What does that look like? We're given teaching, instruction for how to act like and live like a child of God, who we've been told that we are. Okay? I have an expectation for my children. Whether they beat it or not, I have an expectation. Okay? You, if you have children, probably have an expectation for your children, right? What should my child look like? How they, should they act? Well, God's got an expectation for us. And if we're going to be his children, we need to know what it looks like to be his children. And praise God, he instructs us. The problem that presents itself is when we want to be God's children, we want to be joint heirs with Christ, and all that in chapter 8, and I highly recommend that once a week you read through Romans chapter 8. It is a powerful reminder of who you are and the promises God has for you, including that nothing can separate us from his love, which is an amazing promise. So read that when you get a chance. But if we want to be children of God, joint heirs with Christ, that's good. But what happens when we don't really want to follow the instructions for how to live like a child of God. We want to be children of God, but we don't want to act like and live like children of God. We don't want to follow the rules. Some of you listening to this may not be Christ followers. You may be still at this point in your life walking in darkness, which is what the scripture says is going on in your life if you don't have him. The only light you have is the light of him drawing you to himself. You may be still resisting the power and grace of God in your life, but God is calling you. He's not calling you first to a bunch of rules. We're talking about rules, but that's not what he's first calling you to. That's not the point. What he's calling you to, if you don't know Christ, is redemption to reconciliation, to be reconciled with him. He's calling you to receive the free gift of grace that he paid for with his own blood for you. Yes, if you're hearing my voice, you. While you were yet a sinner, as we read in chapter 5, verse 8, as we're going through Romans, that's when he died for you. Not when you were good, but when you were sinning, when you were in rebellion against him. And he wants you to know him. And so if you're not a Christ follower, it's this and only this, Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a promise. That is a declaration of truth. If you do those things, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That is the good news. You'll be saved because Jesus Christ, the King, the righteous one, who knew no sin, took the penalty for your sin. That's a reality. Jesus paid it all for you. 
dying on the cross, and he rose again, defeating death and sin and hell, and he's calling you. And if you're looking for someone to believe in, you're looking for someone to trust, my guess is that as you look around the world, you're not finding that, right? It's probably not the two very old men that are trying to lead you right now. Um, It's probably not the local politicians. It's probably not uh, the principal of your school. You're finding that most people fail, but there is one who does not. There's one that rose from the dead. Now, if I'm going to put my trust in someone, I want to put my trust in the one that rose from the dead. And that is a historical fact with so much evidence. It's, it's got to be the most well-attested historical fact of all ancient history. You can have salvation today. You are listening to this for a reason. And then, when you come to Jesus, because that's the thing for you, if you're not saved, come to Jesus, be saved. After that, you can start to understand the rules. Because the rules for a child of God are not about lots of instruction to harm you. The rules that apply to you as a child of God are there to help you. They're there for their instructions for a holy living to be set apart. The rules are for you. They're for your good and for the good of others. Now, I'm going to tell you something about myself. Some of you who know me well probably know this. I am not a detail person. I'm a, you're like, yeah, you don't even match. Yeah, I'm not a detail person. (laughs) If I didn't have a wife, I would have like two different kinds of plaid on right now. Okay, I got that from my dad. That came by, honestly. Um, And she stopped caring for him. That's why you see, that's why he looks like he does when he comes up here. The white suit and all the rest of that. She's just like, I give up. You know, I mean, it's been like, they've been married like 100 years or something. So, um, the, but, but I'm not a detailed person, okay? So, if I have to take care of something that requires complicated maintenance, that there's lots of rules for, I am not going to do a very good job. If you have to change the oil or the filter or store the thing in some certain way, I'm just not your guy. I'm not your guy. If you have something like that, go to Pastor John. He's the man for that. He probably has the date for every oil change and filter change and whatever for every vehicle and his motorcycles and whatever, all in his phone, like buzzes. And he's like, I'm going to go get the oil. That's the way he is. He takes care of stuff. He understands that he's a detail guy, right? Detail guys, they get that. A lot of you military guys, the detail, it got drummed into you. Uh, You know, that's how you are. I'm not that guy. But there are rules for things, right? They don't work unless you follow the rules, I have a car, right? If I don't put gas in it, it doesn't go. That's a lie. I have an electric car. So uh, I also have one that you put gas in that's also half electric. It's just a lot cheaper, guys. I mean, I don't, you know, and they're kind of fast off the line. Anyway, we'll get into it some other time. Um, But no, if you don't put gas in the car, you don't put oil in the car, it's not going to go anywhere, right? If you want the thing to work the way it's supposed to work, you have to follow the rules, you want something to work the way it's intended, you follow the instructions of the person who made it. That's how things work. Cars made to drive, no gas, nowhere, right? You don't go anywhere. The Greeks used a word, uh, the word arete. That's, that's the way I'm going to pronounce it. I don't want your emails about it. It's really pronounced. I don't care, okay? You're not Greek. Neither am I. Get over it. Well, you might be Greek, but you're not Koine Greek. Anyway, you know. The idea of arite is that you fulfill a purpose, right? It's a virtue. It's the idea that you have a purpose and that you fulfill it excellently. You do the thing. You do, you do the thing that you were made for, okay? Everything has a purpose. My dad used to tell me all the time, use the right tool for the job. A tool has a purpose. Did not always do that. Still don't always do it. Yesterday I was taking something apart. I needed to bang something. I was holding the electric, you know, the screwdriver, and I just used that instead of a hammer. My dad would have been like, don't do that. It's not his stuff anymore. I'm old now. I can do whatever I want. I also eat cookies before dinner. What are you going to do, mom? I ruined my appetite. I don't care. (laughs) Do it again. Jerry Seinfeld used to say that. I stole that from him. Anyway, every tool has a purpose, just like a car has a purpose, just like an education has a purpose, just like anything you can think of, it has a purpose. Everything has a purpose, including you. You have a purpose. Some people struggle trying to find purpose in life. It's a a big struggle for them. They don't don't know how to do it. They feel uncomfortable. We have this this huge issue with like adulting. If you were born 
this century, you probably have all kinds of like concerns about adulting. Like, I don't know what to do. And what am I, who do you, how do you put, turn the gas on in, the, in your house? And how do you pay the, just do it. Grow up. You're going to be okay. Right? Like, you, we just all had to do it. But people now, they're, they're struggling. They're struggling with how to do stuff, how to be an adult, what their purpose is in life. And of course, they have been, people have been pushed into an idea, a philosophy called naturalism. Okay? Naturalism. Naturalism, we've talked about this before. Naturalism is the idea that there is no God. And that the universe is basically running accidentally, okay? Whatever happens is an accident. Now, even some people who believe in God, who still buy into sort of the neo-Darwinian evolutionary view that says that all these things, giraffes, they just, like, it just happened. Like there was a dog one day, and they just had a really long neck, right? Like, it, it's, some of you are like, no, it's true, evolution is true. Just get, spend five minutes thinking about how, absurd it is to think that things could have come that way. But in any case, the idea is there's no God, there's no guiding principle. So the universe just happened because that's what happens. You guys have seen that, right? Where universes just happen. They just pop out of nowhere. You, that's, that's a normal thing. Nope, not a normal thing, but that's what they say. And then they say that everything that's happened is an accident. Here's the problem with that. If you've been growing up being told that, right, and you can still be sort of spiritual and believe that kind of thing, and what the problem is, it leaves you bereft of purpose. If there is no God who actually created you for a purpose, then you don't have a purpose. And when you talk to people who are naturalists, atheists, and you say, what about purpose? They say, you just have to kind of come up with your own. You sort of fake it. You just fake a purpose. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do that. And I don't believe that. And somehow there's something inside me, inside my heart, inside my mind, inside my spirit, my, my soul, that knows that's not true. I know a couple of things. I have a purpose, you have a purpose, and the world is not as it should be. Now the question is, why and what is true? And that's where the Bible comes in. Because it tells us directly what is true. Naturalism leaves no room for purpose. You, you know, are just... You're just an accident, kind of walking around, and then you'll die, and maybe you'll have made children, and maybe more humans will survive, and maybe they won't, maybe we'll all turn into salmon. I don't know how the thing works with the evolution. We need salmon, right? I keep hearing we don't have enough salmon, so whatever, you can become a salmon. Because, here's the thing, if you were not created, you are an accident. That's the reality. I'm going to sugarcoat it for you, but you're not an accident because you were created for a purpose. Genesis chapter 1, right out of the gate. This is verses 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If you were made by God, you were made in his image and you were. You were made by God, and you were made in his image and likeness. That's what the scripture tells us. In his image and likeness. Does God have a purpose? You better believe he does. If you were made in his image and likeness, do you have a purpose? You better believe you do. He made you like him to have a purpose. Every, every one of you has a different kind of purpose and a different set of skills because every one of you was uniquely, fearfully, and wonderfully made, knit together in your mother's womb for a reason, for a purpose. We're different, right? But what we're really different from isn't so much from each other as we are different from all these other things. Cars and tools and animals, we're different than all those. God made us in his image and likeness. He gave us a will. Psalm 8, 3 through 9 says this. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, so where are we, where's the psalmist starting here? Look, when I think about who you are and the fact that you made the universe and I have a hard time getting a chia pet not to die, right, with the little hair thing that you do that, and you made the universe, then, then here's what it leads me to. When we get into the next verse, it says, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Who are you, men and women, children? 
You are made in the image and likeness of God, and he has crowned you with glory and honor. You have made him, that's man's, men and women, to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. What, What is this saying? Look, fundamentally, you have been made as something special and unique within the universe. What did we say? If if you're looking to make a thing work, you follow the instructions of the one who made it. Well, God has made you, and he has made you unique and special. He has crowned us with glory and honor. Do we deserve that? No, but he did it. He did it, and then he saved us. How excellent is his name in all the earth. God has crowned man, men and women, children, human beings with glory and honor. We're above all these other things that he made. He put all these other things under our feet. You have dominion. That's why when you go to hunt the elk, like my friend Buff here, it's, it's hard to find them, and they run away because they know what's going to happen when Buff shows up, right? He shoots at them. Can you believe that? Delicious, by the way. Um, not Buff, the elk. Um, that's, you're laughing too hard, don't. God has made us, he has made us over all these other glorious and wonderful things. Y'all have seen the Nature Channel, the documentaries. The earth is amazing, amazing, unbelievable. And you are above that, crowned with glory and honor. Actually, not only above that, but he's given you dominion over it. You are special. All this stuff has been subjected to you. We are special and we have a purpose and he loves us. And because he loves us, he died for us and rose again. God ransomed us from the penalty of our sin and has provided us eternal life with him. That's some powerful stuff. And these are the kinds of words that we say in church all the time. And I think sometimes they just kind of fly by. I've heard that a lot. That's kind of a Christianese thing and whatever. Listen to me. I want you to listen to me. He loves you. He died for you. If you wake up thinking about that, and you go to bed thinking about that, that God has ransomed you from the penalty of your sin and has provided you with eternal life with him, that you're going to have eternal life. If you think about that, a lot of the other stuff in life that seems rough, the bills, I don't know how I'm going to do it, the kids, oh my goodness, how am I going to deal with this, this kid, I've met a lot of your kids, that's why I'm saying that one. Here's the thing, you think, you think all of those things, but they all just kind of fade away. When you realize you have eternal life with Jesus Christ, that he loves you so much that he died for you, it puts things in perspective. He's spoken to us through the prophets and the apostles and the writers of the scripture, and he's told us how to walk as his children. God has given us a will, and we can make choices. That's that's an incredible thing, because he didn't just make us as robots, He made you so special that like himself, he has a will. He gave you one. And you get to make choices. Now, think about this. What if other things had a will and made choices? We're going to do a little thought experiment here. A chair fulfills a purpose, right? It reaches its arete. When what? When it holds a person up who wants to sit. That's a chair fulfilling its telos, as we'd say in the Greek. The teleology of the chair is be there so that when I want to sit, You hold me up. That's what it does. A chair, if it had a will or a choice, all we have to do is think about what would be a good choice for that chair? What good choice could it make? Well, obviously the choice would be for the chair to be sturdy and strong and comfortable for a person to sit in. I can tell you right now, I have had some chairs in my life that did not meet their arete. (laughs) Several times this has happened to me. Those plastic ones, you know, like the ones you get at Walmart and you're thinking everything's fine. You're having a great day. Got yourself a soda, and you're out there, a little, maybe a little hot dog. You're out, outside, you're going to sit in one of those plastic chairs, and you go down thinking, this is a good chair. It's going to fulfill its purpose. You sit down, you hear that snap, and there you are. Most of you are like, no, I'm not fat like you. I haven't had this happen. <laughs> well, it's happened to me, and those chairs did not meet their arete, okay? Their arete was for a much smaller person than me, apparently. 
But if a chair wants to be its arite and it has choices, it's going to choose to be good for sitting in. Now, the question then is, what's the child of God to use his or her will, his or her choice to do? Well, we don't have to wonder. You don't have to guess. He tells us. He's given us the scriptures so we may know his rules, his laws. He has instructed us. Listen to the psalmist praising the laws of God. This is Psalm 119. I'm just going to start at the beginning there. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. The people who walk in the law, they're not cursed. It's not bad for them. They're blessed. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. Why? Well, the next line. They walk in his ways. For you have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. It takes work. Got to be diligent about it. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed. When I look into all your commandments, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. That's just the first four verses. Psalm 119 is a very long psalm going on and on and on about how much a psalmist loves the law of the Lord, seeks it, desires it. What does Jesus say to us? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want it. I want to do good. I want to follow the instructions. I want to meet my arite. I know you've made me with a purpose. I want to do it the right way. And we praise God as we learn and follow his laws because the more that you actually look into it and the more that you study and the more that you try to do it, the more you realize how good it is for you. It's a bulwark against all kinds of things, including things like shame and fear and all kinds of drama. Knowing his rules, following his rules, isn't about rule following. It's about knowing how he made you, learning about who you are and how you should live. And we love it. We love it. Because in his rules, we find life. God's rules show us how to meet our arite, the excellence of fulfilling our purpose. God's rules help us to Fulfill our purpose. They draw us closer to him. They draw us closer to each other. You want to have good relationships? You better follow the rules because they're there for your good. They give us vibrance in life. Following God's precepts leads to friendships that are eternal. You know that? Like we're going to go to heaven, those of us who are in Christ, who are saved, who did what I said earlier, confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead. We're going to be in heaven. We're, our friendships, they're not going to like end and be something. That they're going to continue. We're going to be like, whoo, this is way better up here, right? Like that, that was rough. But we're going to be friends eternally. If you learn how to treat each other well, you build lasting friendships, and you can almost smell eternity in those friendships. A brother or sister in Christ that you just, you trust and love, you can, almost, you can almost smell the odor of eternity in that relationship. A marriage that's strong, powerful in the Holy Spirit, raising strong children, you can almost smell it. The goodness of God. But you've got to follow the rules. Because when you don't, it smells like something else. I'll let your mind figure that one out. God's laws bring us joy and hope and they multiply love. That does not mean they are easy. They go against the desires of our flesh. Our flesh has been perverted by sin and by the world. It's just a reality. You desire in your flesh the things that are not good for you. The Father has made you his children. He has created you, and because he's created you, he knows how you work and what's best for you. And yet our flesh that's been corrupted and perverted by the world is going, no, I want to do that instead. I want that good thing that you have for me that you said is good, but I want it now and without any of the responsibility. So we sleep around before we're married because, hey, I get the thing now. And he says, no, 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 I've designed all that within a context, Right? I want, I want to get the money, but I don't want to do the work, so I'll take the money and not do the work. And he goes, no, 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 that's not how it works. Because there's a joy in receiving what you have worked for. 
and it doesn't hurt other people. In fact, it helps other people. And, and all the different things that God tells us, they're for us. So we have a choice. Our souls must decide whether we will fulfill the lusts of the flesh or fulfill our arite by following the leading of the Spirit of God. And we are showing what these different paths look like. He shows us in the Scripture. One is hard, the other is easy. One leads to life and healthy relationships and hope and peace and joy and love and to every good thing in the kingdom of God. The other one, not so much. It leads to drama and pain and hurt and death and has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. That's the easy one, though. Seems easy. Things that are easy up front are often hard on the back end. The rules, the precepts, the instructions, it's not difficult. It's right there on the pages of the Bible for you to read and understand. We went through some of it last week, and I'm going to read through this week. So I'm going to start. Those of you have Bibles, by the way, there are Bibles in front of you. And if you want to use one of those and read it along, you can. It will also be up on the screen. But if you don't have a Bible at home or your Bible's broken, and I've told you guys this before, if you're not reading it, it might be broken. So take one of these home with you so that you'll read it. These are nice Bibles. Um, they're for you. If you want, you can follow along with me. I'm actually going to be reading a long passage. I want to be starting in chapter 12, verse 9, which Dr. David went through the, I'm just reading it. Dr. David taught on this last week, but I want to show you what's happening here. So I'm going to read from 12, verse 9, all the way through 13, because it's all part of the same thing. This is a list of things that God is telling you about what it looks like to be his child. This is how children of God walk in life through the world. And so there's a list of things that he tells us, right? So let's rock it. Romans, what did I say? Romans. Romans 12. They don't know. Just, they'll figure it out. Romans 12. Thanks for helping. All right. I mean, it says Romans right there. You guys could figure it out, right? Here we go. Let love be without hypocrisy. That's a good one. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. All of these are good. All of these are hard. All of these is what it looks like to be a child of God. All of these are instructions for you to reach your purpose. He's just, not, he's just going after it. I love it. Paul's just going. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints, giving to hospitality. What should your life look like? Well, I don't know. I just don't know how to, how to live for the Lord. Nope. No, I don't want to hear it. It's right here. It's all right here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I don't like that. I don't care. This is what the Lord says to do. It is the opposite of what you would think. Normally, if people are cursing me, I'm going to want to curse back. Sometimes they're not even cursing me. They just cut me off, and I want to curse back, right? I don't, as far as you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Bless those who curse you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. You are not all that. And God has people who need you and need you to humble yourself and recognize that going back to this other thing, that we give preference to others, right? Christians are not about being all that. Christians are not all about being shiny people. I use that term for people who spend a really, really lot of time on their looks, so they're almost like shiny. That's, that's not what you're about, guys. As Christ followers, we're there for the humble, for the lowly, for the needy. That's what he's calling us to do. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceable with all men. Live peaceably with all men. As much as it depends on you. You're not going to be able to live peaceably with all men. There are people who will hate you because you follow Christ. Remember, to some you're the odor of life and to some the odor of death. It's the odor of Christ that's coming out. Some people hate him and some people love him. But as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you will heap coals of fire on his head. All this love in your enemy stuff, when Jesus said it, it was rough, and when he repeats it here, the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul, it's rough here too. What does it say? Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does that mean? Those who are evil 
and the evil of the world is going to try to overcome you, and you are not to be overcome by it. But rather, the good that God has given you because he's given you a purpose, because he's given you instructions, because you love his law, with that good, you overcome evil. That's what he's saying. Now let's get into 13 because we just keep going. It just keeps going. There's just rules. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. What is he saying here? Is he saying that all leaders are good people? No. He's saying that what he has instituted is that there are those in authority in the government that are in authority in order to punish the evildoer. Okay. That's the focus of this part of the passage. So let's talk about it in those terms because Americans, we go, well, what does that mean? I have to like who, whoever wins the presidency. That means I have to really like that person. And, and what, no, I, I don't care about that. But here's what you have to do. You respect the authority that bears the sword that punishes evil, you respect that because God has instituted that, that there would be a law so that you're safe enough to do what's right. If an authority isn't doing that, well, then obviously that's not what God told that authority to do. So don't get, don't get too complicated into this. The bottom line is, what's really saying is, don't break the law as a Christ follower. You should be a person submitted to the law so that those who see you and see what you do can see that you're separate, that you live like a child of God in the instructions that he's given you. Let's keep going. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, which is what they bring when you do what's wrong, but also for conscience sake, because you should have a conscience about doing what is right. You shouldn't have to worry about the criminal law coming down on you because for conscience sake and because you're concerned about that, you do what's right. That's what you should be. So don't be criminals, okay? That was an easy one. Don't be a criminal. You guys can do that. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Okay, all right. Look, April's coming, and I do not like tax time. It's not fun. You know, I make $3.79 a year, and I give, like, most of that in taxes. No. I don't like paying taxes. You don't like paying taxes. You know what? It says pay them. Pay taxes. Okay? For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Fear or reverence, right? Respect people. We don't, we don't, we're not a big honor culture. Anymore, there are certain categories of folks that still do it. Sometimes in some institutions, some universities, you still see proper honor given to the people who have accomplished things. The military, you still see honor given to those who have uh, achieved you know, certain things or who are in authority over other people. But generally in life, we've pretty much given up on honor, mostly because so many people have been dishonorable. But the fact is there are roles that we are told to show reverence, fear, and honor to. And we ought to do that as Christians. And, and you should be seen as doing it, and people should go, in a, in a world right now that doesn't give honor, people should be asking, why are you giving honor and reverence to that person? You suck up, you know. And you go, because Christ told me to. And because of my, my reverence, my fear for him, I do what's right in this case, and I give honor to those, even though they aren't always honorable, because they're, they have a role that God has allow them to be in that I'm supposed to give honor and respect to. That's why I don't cheat on my taxes because cheating is wrong and not paying your taxes is wrong and it's not honoring the authority that God has put there. So as Christ followers, you do this stuff and you do it with the right heart. We should be showing honor. This should be a place, the church should be a place where we show more honor to each other than people see in other places in life. Reverence and honor, respect. All right, let's keep going. We're getting there. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Here's something you do owe. This is what, what's, the, what's implied here. Owe no one anything except. Here's something you owe. 
You owe the person sitting next to you to love them. Not, it'd be nice if you did. You are in debt because of the Lord to your neighbor to love them. That's, that's the thing you're, you're allowed to owe. You can owe the people around you love, and you do. Who? Everyone. You owe love. That's what it looks like to walk like a child of God, is to owe love to those around you. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. It's the first principle of what people call natural law, that you do no harm, and love does no harm. Love does no harm to a neighbor. And I do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So what's happening here in this last little section? He's saying, look, you need to know the time. It's almost 2,000 years ago. And, and, and to be, remember, God's time isn't like your time. Okay? A day is 1,000 years, 1,000 years a day, and so on. But there were already the things, the signals of what was going to be. And if it was true for them, how much more true is it 2,000 years later? That our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You better believe it. And every second and every day it's getting nearer. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, because of that, because it's time. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on the world. It's also, you'll find that here in the first chapter, right? The judgment of God, the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's coming. For those of you who think that we're just going to continue to sort of go on, maybe things will get better and whatever, you did not read this. Judgment is coming. The day is coming. The night is far spent. So how should you walk like it was daytime? Not like the people who walk around at night. In Honduras, when we go there, at, at before, right around the time that it gets dark, everybody shuts everything up. I'm talking metal gates, locks, whatever. You're inside the house. You don't go outside. Why? Because evil men do their evil deeds in the dark. And it's dangerous. So we're inside. We're safe. They can't, they can't do anything to us. And we stay out in the country now, so it's not as big of a deal. But when we used to stay in the city, it was like, lock it up. It's like, oh, we're in prison. You don't want to go out there, you know. He's saying, look, live like you're in the day. That's what a child of God lives like, 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 you, like anyone can see. Live so that you don't have secrets. Live so that people can know what your life is like. Live so that if somebody wanted to take this thing from you and look through it, you had nothing to worry about. How many people right now, if I said, hey, take, take this, look at anything you want, how many of you right now would be like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. That shouldn't be the case. Live like a child of God in the day because the night is far spent, guys. And the Lord is coming back and we don't want him to find us unfaithful. Put on the armor of light and let us walk properly. What, what, what does that mean? Properly. It means doing all these things. It means following what the Lord has called you to do. All the instructions summed up very simply. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You will not love your neighbor if you are fulfilling the lusts of the flesh. Let me just tell you that again, just in case you didn't hear it in the back. You will not love your neighbor if you are fulfilling the lusts of the flesh, doing the things that the flesh wants. You will love your neighbor by, wait for it, loving your neighbor, thinking about your neighbor, doing things that you would want to be done to you, the Spirit of God inspires Paul in the letter to the Galatians to say all of it again. And so I want to read it again. Not all the same exact stuff, 
but similar stuff. So he's talking to the Galatians now. This is chapter 5, starting in verse 13. We go through verse 26. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use that liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Okay, here we go. Another list, just so that you know what it looks like to be a child of God. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, now we've heard it in the Gospels. We've heard it again in Romans. We've heard, we're hearing it again in Galatians. It seems like it might be important. You should probably pay attention to that. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Because that's what happens. When you sin against your neighbor, you are consuming them. You are saying that your life, your needs, you are fodder, are food for me. That's what sin is. It's the consumption of those that you sin against. Sometimes the consumption of your own self. So when you treat people poorly, puts it here as bite and devour one another, you're actually saying you're not worth anything more than food for me. Something that I can have to make myself feel better and I'm willing to sacrifice you for me. Now, children of God, do not walk like that. And yet they have to be warned. Why? Because in the flesh, it's exactly what people do. I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So how do I not do this? Oh, how do I not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Walk in the spirit. How do you do that? Every day. Get up. Remember that Jesus died for you. Remember that he loves you. Remember that he rose again. Remember that you have the Holy Spirit and walk in the spirit. Spirit, how are you leading me? Not body, which way am I going? What am I doing? No, spirit, how are you leading? Walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. There's a battle going on in you. You got two dogs. You got that dog in you. Which dog's going to win? The one you feed. Right? The one that's going to win is the one you feed. You live to the spirit. You feed the spirit. The flesh becomes weak. You have control over it. As Paul says, I beat my body into submission. I beat it in submission, so it'll do what I want it to do because I'm going to live for the spirit, not for the flesh. The one you feed is the one that wins. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Ready? Here's what they are. Adultery, fornication, that's having sex outside of a marriage relationship, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, he's already taught them this, he's teaching them again, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You want to be a practicer of that's the way you want to live? That's not kingdom of God living. That's not child of God living. That's not joint heirs with Christ living. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love your neighbor. Love each other. Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? This is the law and the prophets all summed up. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. There are no rules against those. If you do those, you don't have to worry about the rules. You'll automatically be following them. If you live to the Spirit, you'll automatically be living like a child of God. If you live this way with joy and peace and love and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, you are going to be living according to the way that God has designed you. You're going to be following the plan of the one who made you. If you don't do that, you're going to be doing the stuff in that other list. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Why does he have to tell us this? Because this is what we want to do in the flesh. Bottom line, he has to tell us all of this because he has to lay it out there because we struggle with it. But do you want to fulfill your purpose? Do you want to meet your arite, the excellence 
the wonderful, wondrousness of fulfilling the purpose you are in Christ, then you got to do these things that the Bible is telling you. I'm not going to treat the people of God, which is you, who I'm speaking to right now. Hopefully, most of you are already children of God. For those of you who are not, I hope you will be soon, but I'm not going to treat you like ignorant children. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And so I will not speak to you like a child, okay? Here it is. It's here in the scripture. This is how to live. Don't complain that your car fell apart on the street when you didn't follow the instructions. You put no gas and you put no oil in it. It's got no air filter and it's broken down. Well, you didn't do the things that you were told to do. And do not complain that you feel purposeless in life and your life is a mess when you refuse to walk in the spirit and instead fulfill the desires of your flesh. Don't complain about it. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever, whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. He would not have to give us the instructions that we read in Romans 12 and 13. We're going to go on into 14. Not today. You guys are like, oh, no, we don't have to for that. We don't. We'll get into that later. I know it's hard. He wouldn't have to instruct us if we didn't want to do the other things naturally. Because the natural is broken. When Adam sinned, all sinned. The world was broken. The universe was broken. The natural was broken. Now every intent of our heart is evil continuously. Now our flesh wants all kinds of things it shouldn't have, and the body is very strong. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? Sin and death, but you aren't called to that. You aren't called to the flesh. You're called to be spiritual. You're called to follow the Holy Spirit and to be spiritual. You're called to your arete to completely fulfill the call God has for you. It is joy. It is life. It is hope. But we have to end the nonsense. All those things that are the works of the flesh, all those things that other people in the world want and convince you that you want to and convince you that you need and how are you ever going to have a good time if you don't do this? And is it really that important to do that? And do you really have to live like that? And man, you're bumming me out that we can't all do this. Hey, you know what? They are not living the purpose of God. They are not meeting their arete. What they're doing is they're dragging themselves and you away from the thing that God has made you to be. And you've got to decide which is more important, following God, following Jesus Christ, listening to the Spirit of God that is directing you, that has communion with your spirit, or listening to the flesh and sin and the devil and the world and all that nonsense. What are you going to do? If you're caught up in sin, then confess and repent, which means turn from it. I, I didn't want to spend a bunch of time really going through verse by verse and stuff. And the reason I don't, in, in 12 and 13, I don't want to spend tons and tons of time in it, because you can read, right? This does not require a lot of explanation. There are more explanations for it. Someday I may get back into some of the government stuff and whatever. But the bottom line is this list of things, if you were to do all the things that are there, the ones that are really easy to understand, you wouldn't have to worry about the ones that are hard to understand because you would already get it. I want to treat you like adults and say, hey, look, here are the things. You should be doing those. I need to explain in little detail every single one of them. I want you to understand. And if you need to confess and you need to repent and you need to get right, then do it today. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will make you new today. Today, he'll make you new. Romans 6, 4, therefore we were buried with him. Buried with him through baptism into death. Many of you have been baptized. I've baptized a number of you. It's a wonderful thing, declaring to the world that we're his, and we're baptized into death, buried with him, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. If your life does not look like newness of life, you are not walking like a child of God. You're not stepping into your heirship. But that's what God wants for you. That's what he's given you in the scripture, all the instructions for doing that. Today can be the day that you change, that you submit to him, that you make him Lord of your life, that you walk in the ways that he's called you to walk. I want to live out the great commission, one written on the walls outside. I want to see new disciples made baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, 
and of the Holy Spirit. I want us to teach them to obey all that Jesus Christ commanded us. That's all of this stuff. What did he command us? How to be a disciple. How to be like him. How to act like a child of God created in his image and likeness. I want to do that. I want to do it with you. But we have to be walking in what he has commanded us. This church, this body, each one of you, if we want to be focused on what God has called us to do, we cannot be constantly caught up in our flesh. We have to get serious. Listen, the night is far spent. The day is near. It will not be long until the Lord comes and gets his church. How many people do we need to get to before that time? Answer, as many as we possibly can. How effective will you be? How effective will you be? Well, you'll be as effective as you are looking like a child of God. That's how effective you'll be because they have to see there's something different. And if you look just like them, there's nothing, there's no testimony to draw them to him. So not only are you hurting yourself, you're hurting them. If you want to be a hypocrite, if you want to come in here on Sunday, pull your Bible out, pull out your smile. Hey, everybody. But you leave here and it's all this other stuff, the drunkenness and the revelry and the envy and the deceit and the backbiting. And then you come back on Sunday and do it all over again. You're just hurting yourself and you're hurting every person that you could be a witness for. But if you give that up and you repent, He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and you can walk in newness of life today. And then we can start doing it. Many of us are doing it. Please don't make it. Kick the ball down the road. Drag you along with the church. Let's all be together. Let's all do what we're called to do. Let's walk like children of God. We have to be walking in what he's commanded us. If we want to fulfill your purpose, your arite, you want to meet that goal of being who God made you to be. We cannot be hypocrites and make a mockery of what God has given us. So let's confess. Let's repent as his church. Let's walk in the spirit as the scriptures have instructed and commanded us.